I'm always late. I know. I'm appalled, <laughs> but I'm going to hide my appallsomeness. How's uh, how's your daughter then? She's fine. Sometimes she just uh, she just rejects uh, the Western concept of bedtime. She's a bit of an Eastern spiritualist. She likes to uh, go with the flow, do things her own way. That's how we've raised her, Tom. At three months old, she's a free spirit. What's and won't her be told. name again? <laughs> Owl. <Yes. laughs> Great bear. <laughs> Great bear owl. <laughs> Lord Chief Pumba. Akuna <laughs> Matata. Um. Uh, yeah. No. No. No problem at all. Oh fuck! I did. That's what I should have done with the time that you gave me. <laughs> Prepared Next for this episode. You gave me. <laughs> Instead of wanking, I should have actually got on and looked at audience feedback. I forgot to do Ow. that. That was stupid. I didn't even finish my wank. All in all, very disappointing. <laughs> finish yourself off now, whilst I uh, go through go through the notes. <laughs> if, you could, if you could just hum "Girls on Film," that'd be great. <laughs> That's better. I find a bit of Duran Duran always helps me finish off. <laughs> Oops. Elite level dogging. Oh, sorry. I was just... I, I, loaded, I loaded Podbean and uh, it suddenly started halfway through one of our episodes or so I was looking for the feedback and the words it came up with were elite level dogging. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Speaking of elite level dogging, Tom, how are you doing? Oh, I'm all right. I had a bit of success today. I, I baked a bit of bread. That was quite exciting. Just one slice. Just a bit of bread. Just a, bit, no, a, a, a loaf. At either end of the loaf like was an absolute disaster. It was oh no, the whole thing was beautiful. My my my, it was a cracking cob. What was it? I felt like Paul Hollywood. It was beautiful. Girls on film. <laughs> that was about it, really. That's all I've got for you. I've got to make some. I've got to make some reeds as well. I've ordered some craft gear to make some Christmas wreaths. It's not getting any more exciting. Are you planning on the neighbours getting hit hard by COVID? <laughs> yeah. I've bought a hearse. Yeah. Um, you are in the money. That Tom is entrepreneurial. <laughs> you say a crematorium. <laughs> yeah. you've, got a, you've got a hole in the garden. <laughs> I've got a pile of, pile of twigs, pile of branches. It's like an Anglo-Saxon crematorium. Yes. I mean, it's kind of a boat burial. In that the fire, the, the fire is being yeah. made from an old rowing boat that you stole. <laughs> <laughs> a carbon fibre one. <laughs> a plastic dinghy. You've got this, this, there are opportunities here. People need to start looking for the opportunities. They really do, Tom. They really do. You know, plan your funeral. Find a new podcast to listen to, preferably something historical, so that when you do get to the pearly gates, you'll know how to uh, introduce yourself to fantastic historical figures waiting for you. (laughs) Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which Tom... Hello. ...and Sam... Hi. Discuss stories on a theme each week. We decide the theme the week in advance, but everything else that happens is a surprise, although it's not a surprise if you've been listening to our Patreon-only episode because Tom has been letting <laughs> slip for nearly the last month <laughs> what he's talking about. And I'd like to pretend that it's because he's so excited that he can't keep it uh, can't keep it tucked, but actually it's because he's so, so scatterbrained. <laughs> he's been thinking that cars is the topic for the last four weeks. What's the topic this yeah. week, Tom? <laughs> The topic is cars, not Russell Crowe's bras, not zucchinis in space or kids with a weird face. It's cars. Dun, dun, dun. The topic is cars, not <laughs> Sunderland bars, not unusually long ears or mini Richard gears. It's cars. 
Dum 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 dum. That's what I've got. That's what I did with the fifteen minutes see, <laughs> that you that you left me here in my car. I've got all sorts of hats. I've got ten gallon hats and very small hats, just hats. <laughs> I'm a travelling hat salesman. Yes. What can I say? <laughs> uh, yes, it's cars, isn't Here's it, Tom? My Panama. <laughs> Yes, yeah, and it, it may come as a surprise, but I am actually doing this week Francis Bertels. Fuck a duck, um, really? I know. Sorry, I know. That's, spoiler, that's a spoiler alert, isn't it? Forget what I said, audience. Is. No one fucks a duck. <laughs> no one in this episode is going to fuck a duck. No. Okay, no amount of Duran Duran is going to get either of us into a position where we can fuck a duck. No. Although uh, it is the only way I know how to swear in French. Is it? Is a coulé en canard means fuck a duck, yeah. There you go. Coulet and Canard. Yeah. Sounds like it could be a sort of 80s French pop hit. <laughs> yes. Or a 70s dinner party classic. <laughs> Just a jelly duck. <laughs> a traditional Christmas starter. Just a trifle with a duck in it. And prawns. <laughs> yeah. That's what a prawny mayonnaise poured over yeah. his head. Ooh. <laughs> Delicious Coulet and Canard. <laughs> or maybe it's a kind of a duck jam that's poured over ice cream. Who can say? It's just a coolie. <laughs> Heston Blumenthal. Yeah. You were talking about some of the hilarious things that have been posted on the That Was Genius a Funny History podcast group on Facebook. Oh, there's been some wonderful content. There has been some uh, classic content. It really has highlighted why we stopped posting on our Facebook page. Yes. Because <laughs> it wasn't anywhere near as funny. No. <laughs> this is literally not, no work fun. for us, but, all, <laughs> but much but more ten fun. Ten times funnier. Yeah. <laughs> Some cracking stuff so thank you to our loyal listeners who've been posting that's really funny yeah there's, genuinely there's some really really funny stuff there and uh, if you want to join in the fun post your own history memes ask us questions whatever then you can find it that was genius a funny history podcast group on facebook and again i think it's pinned to the top of our facebook uh, feed so you should be able to find it quite easily it, and, yes uh, yeah, it is yes it is quite funny i, I do recommend it Thoroughly recommended. Gets a 10 out of 10 from the people who started the group. Uh-huh. Talking of audience feedback, we've had a message from Trina Van Hawkins on the Podbean app who suggested that we uh, we close the year out by doing fireworks or explosions. Mm, okay, so that could be our New Year version. She's getting dibs in very early, isn't she? What else have we had? I think we've had quite a lot of comments, but I've just been really silly and haven't actually gone through and looked at them. Oh, lordy. Let's have a look. That was Genius Facebook page. Where all your dreams come true. Including dreams about history and very few other dreams. <laughs> Involve accidentally while you're sleeping having a poo. <laughs> wow. Nathan, Nathan, Nathan. His friend did the sour toe cocktail. Yes. He sent us a picture yes. of the certificate. It's a very nice certificate, isn't it? It's a lovely it's, little It's fantastic. Pattern. It perfectly matches his wallpaper. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Or has he just got a lovely floral sofa? Either way, it perfectly matches whatever's behind it. <laughs> yes. Who else has messaged us? Mm-mm-mm. I mean, I think that's, I think that's probably it. <laughs> That'll do. <laughs> no, we've had some uh, some lonely women in my area following me, asking me to uh, click a link to see their cams. Um, <laughs> what are their cams? That's a euphemism I've never heard before. <laughs> hey, do you like baked beans? <laughs> do you like tuna? <laughs> Custard. This stuff, lime cart, <laughs> dolphin friendly. <laughs> well, thank you all for your lovely comments and your fun, fun, fun memes. 
They are making us chortle. Should we do a podcast? Let's do a podcast. Now, whose turn is it to go first? Do you know what? I think it's yours again. Something's gone a bit wrong, but I think it is your turn to go first for this public episode. All right, I'll go first then. Right, so have a guess who I'm going to do, Sam. I think you're going to do Marlena Dietrich, Tom. (laughs) No, I'm doing Francis Bertels. (laughs) Now, I'm hoping you didn't go away and research Francis Bertels. Do you know what, Tom? I didn't. Good. Listeners, I hope you didn't either, because that would be a spoiler, wouldn't it? It would be a spoiler. uh, Yes, I've got myself a saucy little sauce this week. And it's called Battlefronts of Outback. Oh. Yeah. We're going to talk about the emu wars today. No, we're not. But it's certainly Australian. As, well, it's either that or it's a model of Subaru car. Um, <laughs> no, it's Australian. And Battlefronts of Outback, I was able to access this source online with the National Library of Australia. And it's oh, a great website. All three books available for free. <laughs> <laughs> More than three. It's got five, I counted. It's got... <laughs> Not another bloody Prime Minister. Yep. <laughs> uh, which is a good book. Yes, the world's largest books, Australian Prime Ministers since 1975. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's got 101 views of Kylie's arse. Marvellous. It's got Rolf's been texting my daughter again. <laughs> and uh, the other one I found was... Has the scan showed what it is yet? <laughs> <laughs> and the last one I found was Jason Donovan's Technicolored Togs. <laughs> Um, anyway, this book is Technicolor from... Technicolor Togs sounds like such an Australian racist term, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, he's one, really, of those, uh, one of those Technicolor Togs. <laughs> <laughs> Aboriginal Togs. No. A t- uh, yes. Do you know what a Tog is? It's a very Australian it's a clo- term. It's clothing, isn't it? It's uh, swimming trunks. Oh. Yeah, they're your Togs. Interesting. Very Australian New Zealand. Very Anzac term there. Yes. Although, bizarrely... New Zealanders call flip-flops jandals. Jandals. And Aussies call them thongs. Call them thongs, yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Jandals. Jandals, yeah. That sounds like vajazzle. Yeah, I suppose you could vajazzle with a, with a sandal if you had you, if a you small had a, enough sandal. Or, or a large enough, enough vagina. vagina, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's from 1935 and was written by Francis Bertels. An Australian nut job. And there's one Excellent. chapter that I was interested in, in which Bertels describes his journey by car from London to Melbourne in oh, 1927 wow. to 28. That's a that's a long and damp journey. <laughs> it is. There were a couple of rather large watery obstacles. <laughs> it was a world's first taking a car I that distance. That it bloody was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> how, yeah there, there were a number of boat journeys, so it's difficult to really... Did he just um, rev the engine for six weeks whilst on the deck of the boat? <laughs> yeah, pr- pretty much. Right. <laughs> pretty much. And it was a, quite a journey, despite the slight stupidity of it. I'll describe the journey in around 25 minutes, focusing specifically <laughs> on parts that are fascinating, silly, and can be warped into innuendos. So Perfect. welcome to that was genius. <laughs> Why do we introduce the podcast that way? Fascinating, silly... And warpable <laughs> into innuendos. In around 25 minutes, we'll tell you two stories of the fascinating, the silly, and the warpable into innuendos. <laughs> the warpable into innuendos. That's quite a mouthful. Um, <laughs> That's what she said. Woof. There hey! we go. That's the kind of quality content we need. <laughs> <laughs> 
A little bit about Francis Burles. He was born in 1881 in in Australia, of course. His early career as a, an odd case revolved around ridiculously long bike rides in Australia. Amongst other things, in 1905 he cycled from Fremantle to Melbourne, becoming the first person to cycle across the continent. Oof. And that's, he's, that's yeah. a long bloody bike ride. It's a warm one as well. A lot of snakes. A, toast, a toasty bike ride full of. Uh... I know. I remember. Imagine what it'd be like on one of those old leather saddles as well. Oh, oh, kinky. And and no um no, chamois cream. <laughs> and um, just lard. He just smears yeah, some lard. Smears some whale, yeah, whale fat over it. <laughs> yeah. No suspension either. I don't suspect. No. Possibly suspenders. I don't know. I don't know. He was out there on his own for a long time. He might have had suspenders, but I don't think he had suspension. I mean, you've got two options bike. when you're cycling, Tom. You can feel comfortable or you can feel sexy. I know which I pick. <laughs> it's easier than shaving your legs, isn't it? Yes. Although I feel that quite a lot of men, in, of middle-aged men in Lycra feel that they're both. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing less attractive, is there? Oh, God, no. There's, then a... Then a Middle-aged, uh, well, a mammal, a middle-aged man in Lycra. Anyway, as he got older, he upgraded cars, and amongst other things, in 1912, he became the first person to drive across Australia, and he received quite a bit of publicity for these early feats, and uh, got a lot of sponsorship, and so he started to write a lot of books about his journeys as well. And his greatest driving achievement up to 1912, when he drove across Australia, were achieved driving the Mr Bean 14. Bean was a British car man- manufacturer that merged out the First World War. During the war, Bean was manufacturing shells for the British government. It's the sexiest um, sounding car, isn't it? You've got a Rolls Royce, you've got a Bentley GT Continental, and you've got a Bean. bean. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, ladies. <laughs> Hop in my bean. <laughs> disappointingly, I have seen the Bean 14, and it doesn't look like a mustard yellow mini. Oh, um, which is rather disappointing, is it? With a, with a teddy on the yeah. passenger seat. That is a shame. Do you remember at university they might have got rid of them by the time that you went to Birmingham University with me, but Cadbury used to deliver all their chocolate around town in cars that were shaped like giant cream eggs. <laughs> really? That is true. You can Google it. Giant cream egg cars. Yeah. Okay, let's have a look at this. Was it... Were they being served up by sort of Red Bull girls, that sort of thing? <laughs> giant cream egg. Okay, that's come up with some testicles. Thank you very much, Sam. <laughs> Oh, I see what you mean. That yeah. is a proper cream egg car, isn't it? It is indeed. And there's a poor man who had to dress up as a cream egg whilst driving the cream egg. Yes. Cream egg in a cream egg. Yes, and he was only allowed to eat cream eggs to well, finish well, off the Matryoshka doll field. <laughs> in fairness, he was probably a student being given yeah. free cream eggs and he decided, <laughs> fuck this. I'm just eating as many as I can. I'm going to put it out there that having two enormous red gooey feet and no eyes is going to make it difficult to drive safely. <laughs> yeah, unless it's like a, a, a self-drive... I, I think, given that they existed really in the 80s, I think that's probably asking a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> probably unlikely. Yes, it's, so it's the, the Bean 14. From what I could find out in my research, the first Bean 14 models seem to have been actually quite good cars, which, quite frankly, is terribly un-British, isn't it? 
Um, <laughs> yes. Was he a German? Yes, he's a German car. I was this think I like hair this bean? <laughs> reliability nonsense. This was one of my favourite parts for summer holidays, standing by the side of a road waiting for the pickup truck. Yes. Um, <laughs> to have a swarthy working man hitch me up and carry me home. <laughs> I actually couldn't find many criticisms of it. I couldn't. It's obviously served Bertels very well on his adventures, albeit with many modifications. Uh, but the later Bean 14 models actually ruined the Bean car manufacturers by the end of the 1920s. Oh. Um, when they were released with major flaws. So they did get back on track. Good. <laughs> Remember their roots. <laughs> what are we talking about in terms of major flaws? No doors. <laughs> no, no steering wheel. No. Um, <laughs> no, I, I don't quite know. And quite frankly, I don't know much about cars. So um, I deliberately didn't research that so that I didn't have to try and understand cars. Probably something to do with the engine. The drivey-wivey. <laughs> yep. The, didn't quite worky-durky. The, the steery-wurry and um, the puffy-wuffy bit at the back. <laughs> the, the puffy-wuffy bit at the back? Yeah, the exhaust. Puffy, the, oh, right, the exhaust. I thought you were accidentally yeah. talking about a steam train there or possibly a cruise liner. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Bertels himself experienced um, one of these very unreliable later models. In, in February 1927, he decided to attempt his greatest feat of endurance, the drive from England to Australia. And it's worth pointing out that he was 46 at the time. So not in his physical peak, but crikey, this guy sounds fit. Strong and resilient man. A proper oh. wipe my bum with a cactus Aussie. <laughs> Brush my teeth with a stonefish. <laughs> Cuddle up to an anaconda at night to keep warm. <laughs> Unfortunately... That's, that's what I call my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, he's a sensitive lover. Unfortunately, despite Bertels being as tough as an old pair of alligator undies, his attempt failed due to problem after problem. The Bean Imperial 6 was untested and rubbish, and Bertels and his chums had other problems with sickness and bad weather. They eventually abandoned in Delhi with monsoon season arriving. Probably a good thing, because the, the latter part of this adventure is the toughest, namely the bit that involves water. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. The bit that involves driving from London to the coast is not so problematic. That's true. The bit that involves driving from the coast of Australia into wherever he ended up in Australia, not so problematic. Difficult, but not so problematic. The 4,000, 5,000 miles of ocean in between. Yeah. I didn't even. I forgot that there's a that the Channel Tunnel hadn't been built in 1927. Indeed, it hadn't, Tom. Indeed, it hadn't. Right on his doorstep, there was water. I mean, once he was in France, you theoretically you can get to Singapore, can't you? Uh, yes, you can yeah. actually. Yeah. Yeah, easy peasy. But yeah, I forgot about the old uh, English Channel. Um, Bertels, being the tough old bastard that he was, returned to London and immediately started planning for a second attempt. And he said goodbye to the Imperial Six and rebuilt his Bean 14 Sundowner, Old Faithful. <laughs> In October 1927, he set off Cue again. sporting montage. I'm not sure that's a sporting montage music. You've done this music before. <laughs> Isn't this some 1970s sitcom? I think I might be doing superstars or athletics, BBC athletics. Oh, you might be doing BBC athletics, yeah. Mm, I've got images of Daley Thompson putting a shot and Roger Black running around a bend <laughs> as, I, as I hum that song. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Linford Christie's tackle swinging to and fro yes. um, <laughs> in slow motion. Oh, beautiful. In short, yet baggy shorts. <laughs> in October 1927, he set off again. And in his book, Bertel's story begins. I was in London and was about to undertake a pioneer motor drive to Melbourne. Responsible people along the route had been writing to equally responsible people in England with a view to deterring me. But I set off, despite their efforts, I had an outback Australian's belief in my ability to meet whatever contingencies might arise. <laughs> goddamn Bertel shall never make it there alive. You're the strongest and most resilient man I ever did meet, but goddamn, this is crazy. Damn it, Bertels. Damn it, you said you'd retired. She'll be all right, mate. I've got cold chisel greatest hits on tape, a pair of unnecessarily <laughs> tiny NRL shorts and a stubby cooler. What yep. could possibly go wrong? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, shit, I've lost my men at work. Eight track. <laughs> Turn around, we're starting again. <laughs> I don't like cricket. Damn it, another six months <laughs> living on my friend's sofa like all good Australians. I love it. <laughs> Uh, not much happens in us in Europe. Bertels doesn't spend much time describing this part of the journey, but there is a nice description. <laughs> <Dull>. <laughs> <laughs> it's all full of foreign types. It's all full. Yeah, it's all full of technicolor togs. You know? All full of fancy wansies and you know Germany with their bonjours and their olays <laughs> and their Zeke Hiles. Well, funnily enough. There is a nice description of France ten years after the end of the First World War, which I thought was quite evocative. <laughs> Shit. <Quote. laughs> The wind howled as the powerful gleam of my headlamp swept on. I could glimpse big guns, old barbed wire entanglements and washed out trenches. As I reverently slowed down, a flood of memories came to me. I'd reached Hamel. Thousands of white painted crosses were around me, seemingly keeping an everlasting vigil. Over what? I cannot define it. But my best mate lies asleep in Hamel. I couldn't actually work out what Burles did during the First World War. I did try and research it, but I couldn't work it out. Ah. Did he wake his mate up before driving on? <laughs> He's just passed out drunk in a war cemetery. <laughs> Come on, mate. This is slightly disrespectful now. <laughs> Do you want to get up? <laughs> Leave all the crossy-wossies alone? Come oh. on now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Bertels continued through Germany, Austria and Yugoslavia before arriving in Greece. The same hmm. journey, interestingly, would involve many more border crossings today. Um, in Greece, Bertels had his first hairy, scary moment, or, or as they call it in Australia, a scary, hairy, wary, berry. <laughs> a hairy, scary moment, so he uh, pulled one of the waitresses. <laughs> <laughs> she smashed a plate over his head. <laughs> Zooming through windy Greek mountain roads in wind and rain, he whizzes onto a stone bridge and fortunately stops because he found that half of it had been wiped out by an avalanche. And after slamming on his brakes, he, he comes to a halt about 10 yards from a sheer drop. Ooh. He also then has to reverse five miles up a narrow road before camping for the night. Just a little appetizer for what is to come in Southeast Asia when he finally gets there. In Athens, he cheats slightly and takes a boat to Alexandria in Egypt. And I'm guessing that he chose this route. That is to quite a cheat. Yeah, it is. Considering it but, is quite drivable. Well, I was asking myself why he would do that, and this led me on to something which I actually found fascinating. Um, I think he did this, and he doesn't mention why, I'm, I think he did this to keep the British territories. Because remember, after the Second World War, the British Empire reached its peak size, 50% larger than the Mongol Empire, which is the second largest empire ever. After the, after the First World War, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry, did I say Second World War? Yeah, sorry, yeah, it's 1922, I think. 
Yes. The Ottoman Empire had dominated the Middle East, but had been broken up after the war. This meant that if Bertels went to Egypt, he was in British territory. He could then drive through Palestine and Mesopotamia, both British, before crossing Persia to India, where again he'd be in British territory. In fact, if my 1920 geography is right, and I did look this up and found some old maps, he would have been in British territory through India and Upper and Lower Burma, and might have just made a quick hop through southern Siam to arrive in Singapore. From there, it was a boat to Australia. So, pretty incredibly, he could actually drive with a few boat journeys from the UK to Australia with only very small portions of the journey not in British territory. That is pretty cool. It is, isn't it? I, th- I thought that was nuts when I, when I uh, worked it out. Um, Britain, anyway. Britain, Britain. Yeah. Well impressed. Uh, on the way to Baghdad, Bertels was clearly getting a bit bored with everything. Quote, Solo motorists were not permitted to travel over the desert route to Baghdad. Convoys were the general rule, but I eventually found myself speeding at 50 miles per hour over open plains. A gigantic queer-looking dog, low in the hindquarters, <laughs> arose from behind a heap of earth. His hair stood straight up along a bony spine, from the end of which his short tail dangled loosely. Looking over his shoulder, he showed his long yellow fangs. I swung the car around at this grinning hyena and gave chase. He loped <laughs> off in a straight line at about 25 miles an hour. Then, as the car closed in on him, he darted to one side, stopped, then watched the car critically as it shot past. Several times this was enacted. I could see his plan. He was making for the rough washouts on the side of a small hill. He beat me to it. <laughs> Ten points for a hyena. Fifteen for an old lady with shopping. Try my- <laughs> Twenty for, for the happy bus. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, damn the little doggy woggy managed to get away from me again I, I, it's also I would like to point out that um, back in the 1920s queer looking dog meant odd looking dog yes <laughs> not a rather camp one <laughs> by the side of the road yes not Kenneth Williams waiting there oh hello <laughs> oh look at your bean <laughs> <laughs> I'll lump your leg any day. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, crikey. As Bertels was driving along these roads in Mesopotamia, on more than one occasion he had an RAF plane fly close overhead to inspect him. And when the pilot satisfied himself that Bertels was just a mad Aussie, <laughs> he would wave. And the pilot satisfied himself off. above him. <laughs> <laughs> no. Was the pilot to dive bomb wanked his beam? <laughs> Tally ho, jocks away. <laughs> yes. This one's this one's for Churchill. No, no, Lloyd George. Lloyd George. <laughs> this one's for Lloyd George. <laughs> um, yeah, so no, no. Once the pilot was happy that Bertolt was an Aussie, <laughs> uh, he would wave and shoot off. <laughs> Again, I beg your pardon. <laughs> that was a quick reload time, wasn't it? Oh, bloody hell. You see, the RAF were patrolling these roads because there was a lot of banditry. Indeed, indeed. Hello, what are you up to then, old boy? Just cruising along on my way to Canberra, listening to a little bit of cold chisel. Life is good. Oh, jolly good. A nice bean, old bean. Yes, a nice um, old bean, old bean. Yeah, nice old bean, old bean, old bean. Yes, what's that you're reading there when you're stopped at the side of the road? An old bean, oh, wonderful. Nice old bean, old bean, old bean. (laughs) (laughs) In Baghdad, Bertles (laughs) observes that the women are top sheilas. And on his way through Bondi, Iran, and into the Afghanistan foothills, he encounters lots of snow and has to be careful to avoid hostile nomadic tribes. 
Oof. So yes, it was British territory, but it was still it was still quite dangerous. No, classic Afghanistan. Mm. Bertels continued to travel through the mountain terrain in snowy conditions. <laughs> Did Rocky Balboa start riding up against him? I was riding up against him. Sounds wrong. Did Rocky Balboa appear on a horse and ride alongside him? Rambo Balboa. Oh, sorry, not Rocky Balboa. Sylvester Stallone. Damn it, do it again, Sam. Did Sylvester Stallone ride up alongside him at some point on a horse? He did. I watched Good. part of that. Rambo. I can't when I did, Rambo three. I think it's Rambo three. God, it's dreadful. Oh, it's a terrible film. Far. Bertels, yeah, Bertels continues to travel through the mountainous terrain in snowy conditions. He describes how he encounters many nomads with large, lanky dogs. And they sound very hardy, rough and aggressive, but all but I can imagine is... But he still managed is... to run them over. <laughs> yeah. Five points. That's ten. <laughs> Make it fifteen. What's the score on the board, Bertels? Thirty-five. <laughs> um, all I can imagine is one of those poncy Afghan hounds with the drooping hair. and I Oh, yeah. Doubt that's what they were. Oh, that'd be great, though. Although they are called Afghan hounds. Maybe they look dreadfully terrible when they haven't had their hair combed straight. On one occasion, Bertels decides to sleep the night in what sounds like a disused mud hut full of goats. I think you'll enjoy <laughs> this quote, Sam. Well, there's an episode title. <laughs> a disused mud hut full of goats. Yeah. I crawled inside to investigate. The gaunt body of one of those wolf dogs came in through the tunnel and lay down on guard. He seemed to regard me as a new sort of goat. Every time I every time I turned to go out, he stood up. He was a big dog and very unfriendly. I could see his watchful eyes shining in the half dark. It occurred to me that perhaps my lambskin coat was having a misleading effect. I took it off and started to go out. The effect was startling. He rose up and came at me growling. He was dull-witted as well as savage. I resumed my top garment, decided to be a goat for the remainder of the night. Outside, the wind howled increasingly. Snowflakes drifted in through the tunnel, but in the goat-warmed atmosphere I was quite snug. With the idea of getting some milk, I chased a goat into a corner, only to find, <laughs> after a very determined struggle, that it was a billy. <laughs> During the night, I woke up to find a bearded nanny licking my whiskers, while her husband, <laughs> nearby, <laughs> was stamping his left forefoot. Taking my time from him, I stamped in Mary unison. Poppins! <laughs> 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 taking, taking my time from him, I stamped in unison. I was afraid that he was going to make a charge. As we faced each other, there came from outside a sardonic laugh and a, several bloodthirsty groans. It was a starved hyena. Still, with a guardian at the door, there was no danger of this adding himself to the company. So to summarise... Wow. He almost tossed, a, tossed off a male goat, then got off with a female goat, and then almost had a fight with another goat. Yes. <laughs> We've all been there. I was Plus, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Standard Saturday night in Middlesbrough, I think. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Bertels stops off for a few weeks in a town in modern day Pakistan to rest up because he had malaria. Just just a just a bit of malaria. Not gonna stop me. Beyond Lahore he found good roads again and found himself zooming along as fast as seventy mile per hour in the old boon. I was made to feel at home in Calcutta. It was there that I met Mr Percy Stollery a young Canadian who expressed a desire to accompany me for the remainder of my journey. I warned him that there was a chance of his head being the chief decoration on top of a wild Naga Hillman spear. He looked quite hopeful at that prospect, so I accepted him <laughs> as a companion, and he proved to be a good mate. Nice. Sli- slightly racist. <laughs> <laughs> he then has his nutty friendly Canadian to join him. Um, beyond Calcutta into Burma things got tricky armed with an elephant gun that they were given and warned that it would be almost impossible the two set out to reach Singapore 
and they managed to get across the Ganges, just just almost losing the car and themselves when their make-do raft began to sink. A little further on, they encountered a community of Brits in a remote town. They kindly gave him a goat that they made room for in the car. <laughs> Excellent. Somebody warn that goat. Birdles <laughs> yes. is to goats what Rolf Harris is to your niece. Yes. Ah, Mr. Birdles, we heard you were coming. <laughs> <laughs> we have a special Int- treat for you. Into the goat. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like a, a warm goat to keep you company tonight? <laughs> we know what you like. We have boys, we have girls, we have ladies, we also have goats. Yes. I'll take a goat, please. <laughs> a good night and a good breakfast all in one. <laughs> they soon found the roads to be awful. The car engine was switched around to give it a one to give it one forward gear, presumably to give more torque, and they spent endless days making barely any ground, about a mile a day carrying as much as they could, digging out roads and doing their best with the car. So they reversed the entire way? Well, no, they changed, they, they swapped the engine around. Right. So so forward was reverse. Right. I don't know how that happens, but that's what they did. I don't I, think I, it does. Is it like Lego? <laughs> is it like a Lego car? You just pick it out, turn it around, put it back in? <laughs> yes. Good. There we go. That's what happened. <laughs> Great. Uh, one night, the two of them were awoken by a tiger walking past where they were sleeping. Apparently, they smelt it before they saw it. Quote, in the early morning, monkeys in hilarious chlorosis... Actually, no, this is a not related quote. This is a different quote. But oh. a funny quote, nonetheless. Go on, then. This, you'll like this one as well. There's a lot of animal cruelty in this book. <laughs> um, a lot of goat fucking and animal cruelty. <laughs> in the early morning, monkeys right. in hilarious choruses would troop along through the treetops. Often we got amusement watching them, down in a creek bed, rolling rocks over in search of insects. On one occasion, I put an explosive elephant bullet alongside a rock, just as a monkey was turning it over. His frantic leap and the alarm of his mates was funny to watch. From that instant (laughs) was born an idea. I shot a monkey. We skinned him and cooked him in a two-gallon petrol tin. As he boiled, the victim's grinning face with teeth showing and little clasped hands made me feel like a cannibal. But curried rice and monkey put new life into us. It's quite Indiana Jones, isn't it? It is quite Indiana Jones. Quite Temple of Doom. He does seem to be... He's not the biggest fan of animals, is old Bertles. How many points do you get for scaring the shit out of a monkey? <laughs> <laughs> and then stewing them alive. And then stewing the monkey, yes. Yeah. Um, probably quite a lot of points. But it does curried rice and monkey. I mean, when you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Although tinted with petrol, no doubt, because they cooked them in a two-gallon <laughs> petrol tin. On another occasion, I seem to remember, they were driving along dusty roads and the dust off the road was irritating their skin. And so the two of them got oil and spread, and just car oil, and spread it all over <laughs> their skin to ease the pain. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Which absolutely didn't end in sex. <laughs> Oily petrol sex. <laughs> That's the sound of the bean revving in the background whilst they go at it. That's bit- oh, God. Thanks for that, Sam. With monsoon season coming to Southeast Asia and the early wet weather already causing havoc, Bertles and Stollery decided to take a boat for a portion of their journey. They eventually arrived in Singapore, got onto another boat to Darwin and found their car immediately seized by customs officials. Oh. (laughs) Welcome home, you wanker. (laughs) (laughs) The Prime Minister intervened, they were released and they continued their journey to Melbourne, arriving in July 1928 where they were asked to move their car because it was obstructing traffic. Welcome home, you wanker! 
And Bertles then went on to find gold in the outback and retired a wealthy man a few years later. Poor old Stollery uh, got a job working as a chemist only a few months after arriving in Melbourne, but dropped some acid. He had an incident where he dropped some acid and blinded himself, which Bertles refers to. Oh, right. So when you say dropped some acid, you don't mean having no. a fantastic time on recreational drugs <laughs> no 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 he actually was was uh, working in a lab and dropped some acid and blinded himself I think he smashed a glass oh. um, so not such a not such a nice ending for poor old Stollery the, no. the random the random Canadian man that he found in Calcutta he found this Canadian man in Calcutta um, so that was the fascinating journey of, uh, of Francis Bertels the first man to drive from the UK to Australia although Fantastic. Inverted commas, dry. <laughs> a little bit of cheating going on. To sail, hunt and fuck his way. <laughs> With any animal. Foolish enough to be within range of his bean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, hunt them or fuck them. That's what I say. <laughs> you come across an animal, run it over or toss it off. Your choice. <laughs> and there's no reason why you can't do both. <laughs> <laughs> and I have now got a wonderful mental image of Mr. Bean rogering a goat. <laughs> okay. Completely unrelated. Bane. Hiding the teddy bear's face. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Fantastic, Tom. Great story. <sighs> Sorry, Sal. I'm very tired this evening. Oh, it's because we started five minutes late. <laughs> you, have, you have upset my rhythm. You have <laughs> yes. upset my routine. I personally Tom blames the boogie. No, that's not how that song no, goes. Don't blame it on the boogie. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Germans, Tom, I've got a German for you this week. Hey! Got a fearsome Fraulein. Hey! Yes, a feisty Führerette. Hey! <laughs> Beastly beer wench. Yay! I mean, yeah. uh, it lost it lost the the F the F theme. But oh, fuck it, theme? Tom. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I've got. I'm doing the world's first woman driver today, Tom. Christ! How many accents did she cause? <laughs> <laughs> Broke a lot of hearts, Tom, and several pedestrians' legs. Hey! Uh, <laughs> it's not only the world's first woman driver; it's the world's first car theft. And uh, it's a journey which proved that with a little ingenuity, some leather, a chemist... <laughs> right. ..and two teenage boys, a car can do anything. Ooh. Mm. I'm talking about Bertha Benz this week, Tom, the world's first long-distance driver. And if her surname sounds familiar... Yeah, that's because it is. Like BMW. It does, <laughs> yes. Sounds like Volkswagen. <laughs> no, she was the wife of Carl Benz, inventor of the automobile... And the man behind the company, now of course known as BMW. So Bertha was a bit of a free spirit and a bit of a badass. She was born in Germany in 1849 and two years before she married Benz in 1872, she invested her entire dowry into his failing manufacturing industry. And it turns out that Carl Benz, whilst a, a brilliant mind and a fantastic engineer and inventor, was a pretty awful businessman. Unlike, that is, his dad's very wealthy brother who made his fortune in microwavable rice meals. Yes, Tom, Uncle Benz. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Benz. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that joke that's a, that's that's a very good, good stretched up joke <laughs> for a shitty payoff <laughs> so for the next 15 odd years Carl Benz had to lean on Bertha for financial support 
whilst business after business failed. Ironically, this came at a time when women in Germany weren't allowed any financial independence, which seems like a recipe for a fairly toxic relationship in that she's not allowed to own any money and still has to fund his uh, his tinkering lifestyle. Hmm. But there you go. She was essentially his sponsor and, and funding bells, his... Sam? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, are you drawing some parallel between that and my darling professional wife with a steady career I... <laughs> and yours? propping us up during our leisure days <laughs> whilst I run a failing podcast production company and you become a quote air quotes stay at home dad <laughs> what time are we playing golf again tomorrow Sam um, <laughs> well quite 11 o'clock mm. isn't it half an hour after we wake up <laughs> yes judge judge not lest you be judged <laughs> so yes much like my wife she funded his odd business ventures here and there <laughs> Including in 1885 his newest invention, the horseless carriage, uh, which took advantage. <laughs> Why is that? That's not funny. That's just the car. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. We have taken away the horse, but it still <laughs> needs to be moved forward. So we have found ourselves a peasant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I think we can do better. Oh, we peasants. have removed the peasants. <laughs> And we have replaced some vis a turnip. <laughs> a turnip. I feel if we are somehow going down a dead end. <laughs> but nevertheless, <laughs> nine, nothing is happening. Perhaps if we give the turnip to the peasant. <laughs> we need to whip it harder. <laughs> and so is born a German kink. <laughs> Maybe if we dangle the turnip in front of the peasant, the peasant yes. will continually feel like he is chasing the turnip. Yes, this will cause him to run. <laughs> turnip! 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 Ach, nein! Alas, the horse has returned, eaten the turnip, and kicked the peasant. <laughs> so yes, the, ho- the horseless carriage, uh, which was made possible by the invention of uh, bi-bends of the first reliable internal combustion engine, the first proper car engine. Now... Not only was Bertha a badass financier and clearly a sucker for her husband's big Germanic puppy dog eyes when he needed cash, <laughs> she was a bit of an engineer herself and did most... Have you bought another turnip? <laughs> Carl! <laughs> nein, nein, Bertha, I promise, this one will work. The guy, the guy at the market said that it was the most potent brassica he had in stock. <laughs> I feel like this one will really give us some oomph. So she was a bit of an engineer as well and she did most of the testing of the new horseless carriage suggesting improvements as time went on. Why don't you try speed? Oh, <laughs> Sven is very lazy. <laughs> Stick with the turnips. Sorry, try, try speed? Oh, in my God. Bertels' passenger is dropping acid. Carl Benz <laughs> is dropping, is taking speed. What is this bizarre historical rave? <laughs> Edison has done some kind of bizarre K-hole. Uh, so actually under modern law she should be credited as either the inventor or the patent holder of the car but again such as uh, life in 19th century Germany that wasn't possible so it's pretty clear that she wore the lederhosen in the relationship but he controlled the cash and got most of the glory so to begin with this the car was a- we will try potato <laughs> Carl come on I think this will work you are just a small woman with a small brain. Why not leave the engineering marvels to the men? We need to harness the power of the root vegetable. Yes, <laughs> the only possible way. I have a cunning idea. This one will work because it sounds like it should, Tom. 
The horseless cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> so to begin with, the uh, the horseless carriage, the horseless cabbage, was a bit of a flop and barely a machine was sold. <laughs> it was kind of considered nothing but a plaything for the ultra-rich and a bit of a fun waste of time and money for Benz, who was always pretty much just interested in tinkering in his shed and not very interested in actually marketing and selling his inventions. Bertha was quite a bit more shrewd, though, and presumably wanted her husband to start pulling his financial weight. And so, on the 5th of August, 1888, she got bored of waiting for Carl to take his invention seriously. And she stole it. Hey, good girl. She set off first thing in the morning without his permission, ostensibly to her mother's house with two of her older children, Richard and Eugene. They accompanied her, basically, for, for help. The perfect crime, of course, because, Tom, how would the police chase you in a car if there was only one car in the world? Yeah, that's true. Exactly. Logic. Did he wake up and sing, Baby's got the bends? <laughs> I'm not surprised she wanted to leave early if that's when he gets up singing at 7 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> ah, I feel, I feel like a little bit of Radiohead always yes. gets me very perky in the morning. <laughs> Carl, put down Already the carrots. <laughs> put down the carrots and for God's sake put on Pablo Honey it's the only cheerful album <laughs> and stop smashing pumpkins we need them for the second stage <laughs> yes. of our testing of the master plan <laughs> <laughs> so yes uh, Bertha set off with two of her older children Richard and Eugene up until this point as I say cars had very much been playthings for gravel roads at large estates they weren't really designed for doing any kind of hard work and always, as standard, had a mechanic walking alongside them to provide assistance <laughs> and pick up any bits that fell off. Painfully slowly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, this, of course, this was the era of cars that needed someone with a red flag to walk in front of oh, them. yes. But this was going to be a very different kind of journey. Bertha was off on a 66-mile trip from the family home in Mannheim to a town called Pforzheim. <laughs> the beautiful and romantic place, Pforzheim. It would be the first ever long-distance car journey. It would be dangerous, it would be uncomfortable, it would be slow, and it would be very much illegal. She didn't even have a man with a flag, Tom. <laughs> but she needed to do it to show the world that they needed her husband's invention, and to show her husband that he was capable of actually being a financially savvy and responsible inventor. Now, the roads the car travelled on were basically just car tracks, which, on a three-wheeled car, made the going pretty tough. <laughs> three-wheeled car? Was it one wheel at the back? One wheel at the front. One wheel so at the not front. even the good kind of three-wheel car. Wow. On roads that only had two tracks. It was basically a Robin Reliant. <laughs> two ruts. It was a Reliant Robin, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the original one. In fact, the Reliant <laughs> Robin wasn't much better, I don't think. Yeah, yeah 100 years later. <laughs> yeah. But the, the piss-poor roads weren't the worst of it. Pretty quickly, Bertha realised that the wooden brake blocks on the car were worse than useless when going downhill, or trying to avoid an inconveniently placed pile of boxes, or trying to avoid some men carrying a sheet of glass across the road, <laughs> or trying to avoid a damsel tied to a pedestrian crossing, or trying to avoid a string of German sausages with nails in them hurled across the road by police desperately trying to stop her whilst trying to find a way of halting this newfangled invention. <laughs> Her solution to was to find a cobbler en route and have him make studded leather inserts for the brake blocks, <laughs> which were better... <laughs> for her trousers. <laughs> yes, for her sitting pleasure. <laughs> German. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for her comfort and enjoyment. Wait, I'm sure I read something that horse and carts in oldie, oldie yonder times, prior to motorised transport, hmm. um, where you'd have sort of stone... Um, 
paths in towns and obviously yeah the the ruts would get worn over time with the carts going back and forth along these uh, paths you can see them in pompeii yeah. can't you they've got these really deep ruts um yes yeah, so although i thought actually that the romans created those deliberately to uh keep carts moving in the right place oh maybe Quite possibly. I thought that was the case, but may- maybe not. Maybe but anyway, I, I'm sh- I thought I read somewhere that what would happen is as the ruts got bigger and deeper, rather than fill them up or solve the problem, people just made larger wheels. Bigger wheels, yes. And, and wheels just got larger and larger and larger. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Maybe that uh, was I Bertles. Don't... Maybe I'm not. Maybe it was actually muddy roads, not... Um, I think it was. I think it was muddy roads in some parts of Asia. It was, the tr- it was certainly true in the UK because the standard width of railway track that's used in most of the world is set to the eventual width of cart wheels. So oh. I think you're probably right. Oh. Made it bigger and bigger and bigger rather than getting a shovel. Yes. <laughs> I think that was Mr. Bertles. I think I read that in Bertles. Up to a point, I think that's true, yes. I think eventually you had to have a cart that uh, you had to be able to still fit two carts side by side down a down a road and, you know, knowing old laws, there was, the road was probably randomly assigned as the high street in Chichester or something like that. But yes, basically true. So she went to a cobbler en route and have him made studded leather inserts for the brake blocks, which were better in the wet and more effective overall. Uh, so she quite literally invented the brake shoe, actually the brake pad, on her first ever car journey. <laughs> she took it out, thought, mm. this is shit, came up with a solution. Absolutely genius. This wasn't the only problem she overcame, though. And bearing in mind, this is one 66-mile journey. The first car didn't really have a fuel tank as such. It kind of just sort of carried the fuel inside the engine, around four and a half litres of it, and this pretty quickly ran low. So Bertha was forced to stop in the town of Weissloch and scour around for something liquid and flammable, eventually finding naphtha, which is basically white spirit, as a chemist in town, which simultaneously became the world's first ever filling station, and is still known as that today. Hmm. Partly, that's just kind of an interesting aside, but it also goes to show that the Victorians would inject literally fucking anything, <laughs> given that they were selling white spirits as a chemist. Yeah, yeah. I think it was genuinely used as a solvent for mixing up other things into medicines. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, okay, you've been swallowing primer. Okay, we will need to give you two cups of white spirit and then shake yourself around a little bit and then piece it all out now now since you are all fueled up let us hitch you up to the horseless carriage <laughs> <laughs> and dangle the pumpkin yes. in front of you bend you over and light the <laughs> light the match <laughs> I call this the first ever drag car and I shall call it the fiery fiora <laughs> the feisty fraulein <laughs> go grease shining <laughs> Go grease shining, you're speeding down the autobahn. <laughs> grease shining, go grease shining. <laughs> go grease shining, the cabbage eat it while it's warm. Grease shining, go, go grease shining. <laughs> <laughs> Do a pop. Do a toot. It's grease shining, pop, 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 yes, it's pop, tooty, tooty. <laughs> oh, what, a, what an image. What a mental image. <laughs> A hot rod being propelled down a German motorway by a farting woman. <laughs> it's just drunk with lady spirit. white spirit. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> so, so when the fuel line blocked on greased shining, the, <laughs> the first ever car, uh, she used her hat pin to free it up. When the engine overheated, her garter made useful insulation. Uh, I said, God knows what underwear she was wearing that was thick enough to make a hot engine touchable. 
<laughs> Presumably being a German, steel and leather. <laughs> Bear in mind as well, Tom, that she had her two teenage sons with her at this point. So ordinarily, whilst a woman oh, stripping mom. off to repair a car would be a popular poster choice for a teenage boy's wall. Probably not so much in this occasion. <laughs> we don't want to see a leather garter. Mum. <laughs> not again. It's so embarrassing. Fortunately, I don't think white vans have been invented yet, so no one was wolf whistling at her. Unless it was just a very, very slow wolf whistle for a man with a cart and, <laughs> a cart and donkey. Who was probably overtaking the bends. Just, yes, <laughs> just a very, very, very slow wolf whistle as he approached and passed. Oi! Oi! Fancy a shag? <laughs> All right, big tits. <laughs> Bear in mind as well that the uh, the three seats were all astride, so if she was in the middle steering, her two sons are going to be squished up against the sides of this car with a naked, sweaty, oil-covered mother between them. <laughs> What a day. What a day. <laughs> so it also turns out the car's two gears weren't enough for the hills, so the car kept on stalling and uh, needed a push from her two sons, uh, much like me on a bicycle and a gentle slope today. <laughs> Despite all of this, she did reach her mum's just in time to watch the sunset, taking the whole day to do the 66-mile trip, which, considering she was on unmade roads, needed to refuel repeatedly invented the brake pad en route and had to strip off in front of her teenage sons to fix the engine is pretty impressive. Mm. She also needed to stop and repair a chain at the blacksmith's. Now, again, Tom, a half-naked Victorian German arriving at a swarthy, sweaty blacksmith's asking for some chain work is very much Mills a German kind of pornography. <laughs> <laughs> very Mills and Boone. Um, very much another niche her sons could have done without exploring that day. <laughs> uh, she eventually drove home a few days later and the trip was a huge success, spurring enormous press interest and convincing the public that the car was actually viable as a form of transport and as a way of meeting half-naked Victorian women. <laughs> so it also made the car a financial success. The Benz company sold a whopping 25 of them in the next decade. Wow. Which in a decade, bam, two and a half a year. 25 in just wow. 10 years. <laughs> which might not sound like much, but it was clearly enough for the company and the rest of the world because just think, within 30 years of this single trip, so within... 20 years of Ben selling 25 cars. World War One started. By the start of World War One, the British Army had 1,300 vehicles behind the lines supplying the troops. By the end of the war, it had tens of thousands, and the other powers were in much the same position, apart from uh, possibly the, the Russians. So the car absolutely took off. Do you remember Christoph, my car? I do remember Christoph, your car. <laughs> I had a, uh, for listeners, I had a 1991 Peugeot 309, and, you know, when it was new, it would have been the shittest 309 you could buy. So it, yes. it wasn't like a turbo two-litre en engine or anything like that. It was uh, like a 0.8-litre engine, and it had matching white <laughs> hubcaps. Ooh. It was beautiful. We call it Christoph the Krusty. <laughs> Christoph, a pulling machine. Had a choke. It was that old. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, yeah. We both grew up in times when cars had chokes. Did you have a car with a choke as well when you were growing up? I did, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. 
That was a, that was a wonderful sound on a winter's morning, wasn't it? Just the sound of cars refusing to start around the country. <laughs> I, I, the sound I, of dads coming out at six o'clock in the morning to go. <laughs> Anyway, Tom, there you go. That is the story of Bertha Benz, a badass woman who stole a car and stole the hearts of the German public. Beautiful. And, you know, kick-started the whole private transport revolution. But there you go. Beautiful. Strong, independent woman. What have we got lined up for topics, future topics? Ah, oh, ooh, ee, good question. Did we ha- Have we made our mind up about this? I don't think we had, have we? No, let me... I reckon I've written them down somewhere in my naturist notes. Ah, yes. Failed inventions slash technology that never worked. Ooh. Best friends. That was from Rhiannon. Natural disasters. We've done that. That was Nathan. Turtley has also suggested monsters or whales or hangovers. Not quite sure how those three are connected. Okay. Well, we need to think of a patron's one. Okay. First. Um, so, why don't we do deserts? Deserts? Deserts for the patrons. Who suggested deserts? No one. It's just off the top of my head. Oh, okay. Deserts. Deserts for the patrons. Deserts. And then... Okay, not deserts, but deserts. And then do you want to do hangovers for the next public episode? Hangovers, deserts, hangovers. I'm actually going to make a note of this. Oh, what a, what a treat. <laughs> after the last Fook Up. We've got to do best friends at some point. I've got one lined up for that. Do you want to do best friends for the next public one? Then we'll do hangovers sometime later. No, I don't want to do it anymore. No. No, we'll Fine. Hangovers. hangovers it is. Right, well, if you want to hear the next episode all about deserts, then you can join us in the Order of the Bath. The, uh, the water's hot and bubbly and can be yours to access for just three, four or five pounds a month or equivalent in your local currency for which you get access to all the bathtub exclusives. You get every other episode. You get all the patron-exclusive episodes. You get doodles from Tom every week. Hello. You get three print-off and keep-at-home medals, which you can wear during naughty shenanigan times at home to uh, show what a confident and rewarded lover you are. And you get three songs as well, which you can listen to whilst weeping after prematurely ejaculating afterwards. <laughs> Did you like the picture of Sylvester Stallone with a horse on his head? I, I loved it. It turned me right on. <laughs> <laughs> it gave me the horn something and rotten, the naked, Tom. the naked SS officers jogging along with their tackles out. <laughs> beautiful. Just a beautiful... A beautiful doodle. I giggled to myself <laughs> as I was doing it. You can join us at patreon.com slash thatwasgenius and don't forget to join the Facebook group That Was Genius, a funny history podcast group on Facebook. Do you have anything else you want to say, Tom? No, that's great. Anything to tell the people? No. Marvellous. In that case, do you want to say goodbye? Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody.